want to read each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. This morning I want to look at something that is dear, very dear to each one of us here this morning. Um, to every Christian in this, in this great wide world. And that is faith. And I've titled the message, Real Faith. Um, it's something that was, should be on our minds and our hearts. Um, Leon, when he was talking and praying this morning, noticed that he said, thank you, that he thanked the Lord for his faithfulness to us. And um, Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 8, uh, Jesus says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and where it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And I think that's a lot how faith is. Um, we don't know where it comes from and where it goes, um, so to speak, but we know, we know it when we see it. We know it when we feel it. Um, so this morning, I'd like to, to look at faith. It can have kind of a nebulous ring to it, something that's out there in the clouds, something that we can't, that's not really tangible. Um, James says, you know, show me, um, how is that? Show, you can show me your faith by... You can tell me your faith, but, but I want to see your works to go with it. It's basically what saying. I don't have that verse here. Um, it's, but it is, it is an intangible, and in, 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 in it's very, how would you say, um, essence. But it's very real as well. We can, we can see its effects. Now, there are folks that have a sort of faith, in inanimate objects or dead objects, idols that are made by man's hands. Um, these things can't talk or hear anything else now. They can because of artificial intelligence. They can do very, very many things. They can probably even go get your mail if you get the right kind of object. Um, it's amazing what things a man man's hands can do. But they're really dead. They're, they're programmed. Uh, of course, they're becoming, uh, that's up for debate now, too. But anyways, but we'll not go there. There are folks that have a kind of faith in their schooling or in their accomplishments or in their abilities or even in their dreams. And of course, like I said, there are people that have their faith in technology. So there's many things you can have your faith in. Um, your grandma's favorite ointment, you can have a great faith in that. Unkers or Porter's liniment or whatever. Or you can have lots of faith in your doctor's very intelligent prescription. Um, and you might have a measured faith in your favorite political party, which is probably better than being habitually cynical, like some folks are. And there are folks that seem to have faith in their faith. Um, I would like to look at a very familiar chapter in Hebrews. You know where this is 
so you can open to it. Hebrews 11. Here Paul illustrates faith to his Hebrew audience by using familiar characters from their own family narrative. By faith, Noah built an ark. Noah believed that God was telling him the truth. He really believed that. Uh, and though all of this thing may have, must have seemed really preposterous, you know, that a worldwide judgment was coming, a flood of all things, death to the human race. All of, must, all of this must have seemed very unusual. But Noah did it. He took these instructions to build this big, great, big, seaworthy vessel in hope of his own salvation. It was a faith. By faith, Enoch was translated from carnal to heavenly. He went from fleshly to heavenly without having experienced death. His eyes were fixed on things above. His hope was on the eternal and the sure. By faith, Abraham left his homeland at the command of God, looking for a city that was to be his inheritance, whose builder and designer, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac, his only son. By faith, Moses took on the last name of his own people, even though he could have conveniently slipped into a royal Egyptian identity enjoyed and enjoyed the full-scale royal life with all its privileges and amenities. And by faith, Moses came back to Egypt and he faced down Pharaoh, the mighty Pharaoh of Egypt. And by faith, he led his people to obedient sacrifice and worship to God. And we're thinking about this at Easter time. Lamb's blood painted on doorposts, the Passover, Easter, Jesus' sacrifice. And by faith, Moses led the children out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. All of these and many more in this chapter. Rahab held the spies and let out the scarlet rope. Why did all of these act on faith? Not because they were like Maria in the sound of music. Um, this came along with me marrying Elisa. I got this CD with the sound of music and one of the songs in there is that and one of the, the, the lyrics that always caught my um, attention was when she sings, I have confidence in confidence alone. Besides what you see, I have confidence in me. Um, these didn't act on that sort of faith. They acted on a much greater faith. So let's note the propositions, or the prepositions, I'm sorry, prepositions to faith throughout this chapter as we read it. I'm just going to read through it, won't comment on it much. So we have these by, through, without, died in, commended um, prepositions. Now faith, in verse 1, is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. So we're thinking of a 2020 forward vision coupled with a divine endurance factor. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were formed or were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Things were created that we see made by something that doesn't appear to us. By faith, Abel offered, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gift, and through his faith, 
Though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to God to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he was to live in the land of promises, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which foundations, which had found, which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And it goes on here. I'm going to move on down to Moses. This talks about Abraham. Talks about people dying, dying in faith, not having received the promise. In verse 13. But on down to Moses, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the rich than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect to the recompense of the reward. And this is amazing to me, uh, Moses' Moses' uh, action here, his conviction. Unlike Esau, who profaned his birthright for a bowl of uh, porridge, um, Moses discounted the, the riches, the position of, of Egypt, and moved out in faith. He left that not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He kept the Passover, the sprinkle of his blood. Lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So many things by faith. On down verse 32. For the time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, the prophets, through faith conquered kingdoms, Enforced justice, the king promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped into the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in the war, put foreign armies to flight, and uh, just on through. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So I just want to look at this. This is that, you know, the, the chapter most of us would think of when we think of. of Faith being worked out and being made in some way tangible so we can get a hold of it. And I'd like to look at the elements here, some of the elements that we find here and, and what I see about faith. Um, there were essential pieces of faith that, that are visible from the harlot Rahab to the prince of, of Egypt, Moses. From the call on Abraham to the ark builder, Noah. From those who were strong in half to those who held back lines. Um, and these are elements that are going to have to be part of our experience as well. As 
children of God, if we're to live in harmony with God. I would like to just, I would like to just look at, at five of these elements um, that I believe are essential for a believer in Christ. First of all, there's a solid foundation in faith. First uh, Peter two four to whom coming as to unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. So then the Christian has lively stones, the living stones. They're built up on the spiritual house, the holy priesthood, and offered up to to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay inside a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him, the believer that puts his trust in him, shall not be confounded. The stones that are the building that are built on the, on the foundation of Christ won't be confounded. I'm impressed as I read of testimonies of Muslims coming to faith. However, they're still very skeptical. And I've read testimonies of other people coming to Christ through faith, step at a time. They're still very skeptical. But as they look at the scripture, as they study, maybe they even are studying it like Josh, is it McDonald did? To, to prove it wrong, just prove it. The pieces come together. One builds on the other. Um, and there's a foundation that they find and that they dig into, and they're not confounded. Um, so uh, faith is a step-by-step process, but as we lean onto faith, onto God, on God, on Jesus Christ, uh, it doesn't, it's a foundation that won't give way. It's solid, it's true, it's firm, it won't confound the believer. And here's a commentary out of, out of uh, Believer's Bible uh, Concordance, or Believer's Bible Study. It's uh, faith is the confidence and the trustworthiness of God. It is conviction that what God says is true and that what He promises will come to pass. Faith must have some revelation from God, some promise of God as its foundation. It is not a leap in the dark. It demands the surest evidence in the universe and finds it in the Word of God. It is not limited to possibilities, but invades the realm of the impossible. Someone has said faith begins where possibilities end. If it is possible, there is no glory for God in it. Interesting. So in contrast, looking at the Babylonians and how they viewed, I was, that verse came to my mind where it says, Pharaoh being a broken reed, a staff that breaks, um, and pierces the hand. Um, that's how the Babylonians viewed Egypt's Pharaoh. Um, the person that leans on him will find himself leaning on a broken staff that, that, that pierces the hand. Well, that's not... That's not our God. That's not our foundation. Our God is a sure foundation. A foundation you can put a weight on. Like it says in Luke 6, 48, He is like a man who built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house. It could not shake it, for it was founded upon the rock. I remember the first time I put in a foundation for a very large not a very large, but a, a moderately large chimney. Um, 
I talked to the mason and I asked him for the size of the, the dimensions of the foundation for this chimney. And uh, I was expecting, you know, something much, much smaller than what he told me. I had no idea that I would need a foundation so large. Um, I forget how large it was, but it took yards and yards of concrete. Then he explained to me, you have all these tons of weight that are going to be setting on this foundation. And if you don't have enough, it's going to lean out after a while. It's going to move. And, um, and you know, I researched a little bit from what he told me, and, and he was telling me right. He had it, he had it right. Um, why? Again, so much weight bearing down. Well, we can bear down on the foundation of God. We find the rocking God. It can take the weight. Will not shift. It's timeless. And we find this in Jesus' teaching. We find it in the temple. We find it from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation. It's a foundation that won't shift. And we need to do our part. We need to read, study, and say, pattern our life to this foundation. Be taught by and follow those who, whose lives exemplify this foundation. We also need to pray for understanding, for wisdom, and for the Holy Spirit infilling that God promises to His children. This is our part in becoming lively stones on this very solid and sure foundation of God. Psalm 71 3 says, Be my strong refuge, in which I may resort continually. You have given me the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. That tells me that. The psalmist found in God something that was sure, it was true, it was immovable. He can build on it. Second, secondly, there's a sure hope in faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith, mighty faith, the promised seeds, and what's to God alone. Blasted impossibilities in Christ. It shall be done, also known. Job loses everything except his confidence in God. To read about Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I will maintain mine own ways before him. He lost everything but his confidence in God, and that was his hope, his trust. Um, it was his sure hope that he had. He also thought of the prodigal. Um, he ran away from home. He took the money. He was big enough to know better. Um, he spent his time in, in debauchery and spent his money with harlots. Finally, he was out of funds. And guess what he thought of? He thought of someone who he had a sure hope in, and that was his father. He knew his father. And he thought back, you know, there's father back there. He would take care of me. My life would be much better than So he came to himself. He said, How many of my father's five children have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your highest servants. And he arose and came to his father. Again, I see a son that had a sure hope in his father. 
My Father will have mercy on me. My Father is everything that I need. My Father treats his servants well. He'll treat me mercifully. And then I see, in number three, a faith that pleases God. Or not a faith that pleases God, but that faith pleases God. And I think it's a very special insight into the nature of God that we have. And uh, I'd just like to keep on going here. Uh, also be using the prodigal account. But first of all, back to Hebrews 11.6. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, or that He is, and that He rewards those that seek Him, that come to Him. And I believe, going back here again to the prodigal account, the father was grieved so long as his son was spending his time in debauchery. And in the pig pen, now he couldn't be pleased knowing that his son was where he shouldn't be. He was out of his presence. He was suffering. He was hurting. And the father was also a gentleman. It would seem like that this was a grown son who made a very um, responsible or irresponsible choice for his own future. And the father respected his son's volition and let him go. He didn't send out a church party after his son to dig him out of the pig pen and let him go. But when that son came back, when he came back to his senses, when he acted on faith, he said, I want to go back to father. Um, and he acted on faith, fully believing his father to be good. Then the father was very pleased. It says when he was still a great way off, so he's coming through the villages one after another probably, and knowing father to be a wealthy man, he probably had contacts outside his own village, maybe to the next, how many other villages. Maybe he knew exactly where his son was at and which pigpen he was in. I don't know. But I think the word probably came ahead of uh, the prodigal, that he's coming home. He's coming through this village, that one. And the word's probably getting back. And Father, when he saw him, he's still a great way off. I'm not even sure that he saw him. He probably did. But he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Dirty, scruffy, nasty-smelling, pig, you know, stained son coming back. Tear down to his below his shoulders and probably all tangled. You know, it didn't look like a, a prince at all. He looked like a, a vagabond. Father went out and kissed him. And that's an insight into our Heavenly Father. Faith pleases Him when He sees His prodigals coming back. It pleases Him. When He sees His people coming to Him, it pleases Him. And the son said, Father, I sinned. And He went into, started to feel about all the things He's done and what He's going to do. And He's just going to be a servant. His father just busts in and says, Look, you know, uh, tells the servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on Him. Put a ring on His hand. The sandals on his feet. And bring out the fatted calf. Let us be married. My son was dead and his wife again. He was lost in the stone. And they began to be married. He didn't even give his son time to really grovel around and become, you know, 
Y'all just get all this shame and sinfulness. No, he just he just says my son is bad for your wife. But that's the thing pleased God. And it's it's a precious thing to have that insight. Or it pleased the Father. It's a precious thing to have that insight into the nature of God. So if we're the prodigal, God's looking to see us back. He wants us back. Faith sees ahead to the homeland. Hebrews 11, 14. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But it is, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for them a city. One whose designer and whose builder is God. We as humans crave security. We crave, crave norms and, and the like. But God doesn't promise us that. It's impressive to me that when the Hebrews they crossed the, the Red Sea, they very much were signed off to Egypt. That sea was coming back. It was killing all Egyptian soldiers and so forth, of course. But in another way, it was it was creating a, a seal between them and Egypt. And that, it, that's significant to us. It, it's a way of showing what God really wants us to happen between us and, and the world. Um, as we step into the kingdom of God, He wants to see that seal there. Uh, a very... What to see it very difficult for us to step back in to the world. It said, though, that the Egyptians, although they left Egypt, Egypt very much stayed with them. And there's this saying that it's much easier to take the people out of Egypt than it is to take Egypt out of the people. Um, and that is so true. Real faith doesn't look back at and favor the leeks and the garlics and the delicacies and the amenities of Egypt. There is a way that faith does look back, though. I read a, an article from, from, from Matt Wall from Repentance here recently. He's not really known to write articles on repentance, but this one he did, and it was really good. Um, and I'd just like to read it. One other thought, an excerpt out of it. One other thought, even in the case of fully repentant sins, I believe God may sometimes remind us of our past. Not so that we can dwell on it, not so that we feel worthless, but just so we can stay humble and remember what His mercy has done for our lives. I've certainly had many moments where I'm feeling angry or disgusted by someone or personally insulted by something they've done to me, and then in that moment, I suddenly and vividly recall some dark moment from my past. Is that the devil oppressing me? No, I don't think so. That is God saying, have mercy on that person, or on this person like I had mercy on you. The memory of the sin is a gift, a grace, which brings humility and gratitude. I was blind once, and now I see. How can I rejoice in my sight? And in the Lord who gave it to me, if I forgot my blindness altogether. God forbid I forget how terrible the darkness was, or else I may return to it. I found that very profound from my own experience. God forbid 
I forget how terrible the darkness was, or else I may return to it. You know, that is the way that I believe faith works back, and Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He reminds them of where they were saved In Ephesians 2, he says, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace he had been saved. And it goes on and talks about us where we're seated now at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places with Christ. But he also talks about where they've, been, where they've come from. So I believe there's a sense that faith looks back it, it, and uh, realizes from where it came. And it uses that to increase its uh, desire to move forward. But by nature, I believe that faith is vision. It's looking ahead. God's vision. Abraham obeyed. He went out. He went to live in the land of promise. He looked for a city that he didn't find, but he looked for his builder and maker's God. And while he was looking for it, he was doing what God had called him to do by faith. And I find the faith of Abraham truly amazing. And it's our call as well for each one of us to call them the relationship with God, with our God, through the Word and through His life-giving Spirit. The call to act on what we know. The call to look forward by faith and step out of our world and into the kingdom of God. That's our call. And this call of faith and one that we should be experiencing daily and also in an eternal sense, looking forward to that, our heavenly country where God is designing and building um, a place for His people eternally. So now that takes us into the next one that I find maybe the most special of all. And that is Enoch's faith walk. An ongoing and a vibrant relationship with our God, like He has. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended. Word to God that each of us could have that commendation. He was commended, commended as having pleased God. When we go back to Genesis 5.22, it says, Enoch walked with God, and he began with his walk. And uh, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And then he, he had a son, though, who lived to be the oldest man recorded. Methuselah, of course. Um, it says, Enoch walked with God in verse 24 of Genesis 5, and he was not, for God took him. Again, one of the most beautiful illustrations I can think of of faith. It's Enoch being commended as having pleased God. He went without dying. God took him. Maybe like maybe a transformation like Elijah. It doesn't say if there were witnesses there. It just says he was not. And it doesn't sound like maybe they looked for him, but couldn't find him. He just went. And maybe the most, quite, I believe the most special to me about Enoch in this chapter is, is that I get the impression that God just really enjoyed having Enoch around him. I, I just have a sense that Enoch was a special part of God's day. Um, 
I don't know how God works here. There's these millions of Christians worldwide. And I don't know if he has a special time with Gerald and Lowell and Dan and, you know, Joan and Wanda uh, Booth and so forth, Mary Anderson. I don't know how he does all that. Uh, of course, you know, I'm so finite and he's so infinite. Um, but I just have a sense that Enoch and God have this special relationship. And I think that that's possible for all of us, really, to have that special relationship with God. And I think uh, we should be striving for that, to really walk with God and God and have this feeling that God is enjoying our presence. And we're enjoying His. Because really what we're doing, we're entering a relationship with, I think, the worship that's going on in, in the heavenly realms. We don't understand all of that, but when we walk with God, I think that's what we're doing. You know, Jesus seemed to enjoy having Peter and John and the rest of the disciples around him. He said, earnestly, have I desired to have this Passover with you? And I, I think that there's gives us a little insight to, to how God wants to commune with us. Enoch's life probably wasn't a walk in the park, so to speak. We don't know. Uh, we won't know until heaven what kind of temptations or trials Enoch may have faced or endured. He lived a short life compared to his son. Maybe he faced trials that were similar to Job's trials. Um, where everything's gone and only his hope in God is left. Um, maybe he stood alone against the evil of the city like he talks about in Hebrews 11.13, where he conquered kingdoms and forced justice or obtained promises or stopped and all the life. We don't know um, what he did. Maybe his walk with God was him lying on his couch of animal skins for years and just being bedfast. That's very possible. We don't know what put him on the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament as a man of faith and a man that was commended for his pleasing God and for his close relationships. But we know that he was put there, and we know that uh, that's the kind of relationship that God would have with us as well, and that we can have through faith. So I want, to look, I want to close here with a few practical ways that I thought of that we can walk with our God and draw closer to faith. And I'm saying these maybe just to get your mind rolling. You're going to think of other things, other ways that are practical to your life. And that's what I want. Um, I want us to be thinking about these things. So, first of all, we just flood ourselves with godly ingredients. Our lives is godly ingredients. We just take in lots of God, right? And it's just that eventually you are what you take in. And eventually that's what we'll become. If we're disciplined ourselves, if we discipline ourselves to taking in God, we'll become that eventually. And here are some steps that have been practical for me 
in the past, and I think I may have mentioned it before. Cut off the listening to talk radio when I'm on the road. And I, I would uh, encourage you young fellows and the people that are on the road a lot to cut that off or cut that back and listen to your Bible app on your telephone. These little phones are so amazing. They do so many things. And the Bible app is one of the most amazing things on there. They're just, you know, you can plug it in. You can uh, hook it up to your Bluetooth or else, you know, hook it up to your player. And uh, it, they're just amazing. You get a lot of just uh, word. Um, listen to truly godly music. Music that is sung by people that do explicit sexually, um, you know, uh, the words are failing me, but that have explicit sexual uh, connotations. I, I just encourage you all to listen, back up, and think about your music. Let's listen to music that places the emphasis on the sanctity of the lyrics, on the sanctity of godly lyrics and godly message. And I'll just say this in the past, in my own past, I've failed in this area at times. Not that I got into really explicit sorts of music, and, but I've went further than what I wanted to go, and it hasn't been good for me. And uh, I've found that by backing up to, to I'm going to say, and, and some of you are going to find this so surprising, just a good choral music with some instruments on it. I have been blessed spiritually, and it has been so good for me. And um, there's just a lot of good music out there that, that uh, will benefit us, will build us up. And if it doesn't look right, in the group that's playing it, there's probably something, there's probably something wrong with it. Um, so I'm saying that for my own experience. It wasn't good for my spiritual life. I don't think it's going to be going to be good for your spiritual life, for your faith, or mine. Um, so inundate, flood yourself with good, good fruit, with good music. Uh, cut off what's negative, or minimize it to where you just get the news you need, and then let it go at that. Take on the bat, take the battle to the, of the kingdom personally. Take it on to yourself. That's what we're here for: is to fight the kingdom for the kingdom of God. And, and one way of doing this is to be prepared to take offense when you to do the offense when you face temptations and discouragement and lust uh, and doubt, bitterness, whatever might be coming your way. Be prepared to take the offense. One way of doing this is. To know other people that are struggling. Know other people that are... Be aware of other people that are going through valleys. Maybe even your enemies. Uh, and when those struggles, when those temptations come your way, you know, instead of sitting here and trying to fight that temptation, try just going ahead and praying for that other person. Let that other person to the Lord. Um... Ask for forgiveness for something maybe you know you're harboring. It seems like when we do that, it, when I do that, it, it, it has a way of letting the devil know which side I'm on, and and maybe just minimizing whatever he's bringing my way. And uh, 
maybe he has to take off, carry off to the other side and take, you know, attack that brother again because he knows he's going to pray for. I don't know. That, that would be unfair if we set the devil somewhere else. But anyway, it does have a way. When we go on the offense, it has a way of clearing the air and, and bringing us into relationship with God. And then there's the thing of stillness. I, I don't know how many of you just do stillness. I'm not talking about, you know, crossing your legs and putting your hands up in the air and making your mind go stuff like that. I'm talking about something that I find very useful and maybe you can find it in your own way. You go to the woods. That's for me. Find that old decaying log, sit on it, and just open yourself up to God. Quote Psalms, like Psalm 71, or those Psalms that talk about um, God being our rock, our fortress, our strong tower, and also about, you know, our own guiltiness and so forth. Just try giving these up to God and, and, and uh, use it, making them personal in your own life. And here's a great place to lift holy hands in prayer, okay? You're out there alone with God by yourself. Um, and you're just praying for cleansing and forgiveness. You're taking these psalms to heart. Um, it's a great place to just lift your hands in, in prayer. And I think it's a powerful way to walk with God. Now, you may have your own closet um, that doesn't need to be the words. But find stillness somewhere, uh, a place where you can really just pour out your heart to God and be one-on-one -on -one with Him. Well, I need to wrap this up here. So, in conclusion, we've looked at the five elements, at five elements here of faith. You have the solid foundation of the Word of God. It doesn't have confidence and confidence alone. It has a foundation that won't confound those who build their lives on it. It has a sure hope in the Father, a hope that won't be a thing, a hope that will even inspire, inspire the lost and wandering son to reach back to his Father for grace. And our faith pleases God. He equally loves every son lost or found, and he responds with the same urgency to the heart that turns him as he gets to the prodigal. God loves the prodigal. And he loves faith that reaches back to his father. Faith looks forward to the homeland. It carries the believer forward and against the tide of the reason of this world. Or the reality, it, it carries the believer to the, towards the realities of the heavenly calling and the heavenly kingdom. The place where God has prepared for his people. He's nine built for his people in the city. And real faith walks with God. It's a belief system that operates through prison outside of the principles of the world. Uh, that, I'm sorry. It's a belief system that operates through prison uh, that, uh, of faith. And uh, it is the principles of the word is, is wrapped around in this prison. And we see through that. It doesn't do idolatry. Faith will bring us closer to the knowledge of God, spiritual cleansing and healing. 
and ultimately faith will bring us into God's very own presence. And when we're there, ultimately, faith will be accomplished. There will be no more need for faith. It will be one of the lesser things that will be gone. And then charity will remain, right? Um, so it's a, it's a very beautiful thing, and I know I'm not covering near, every, nearly everything about faith. These are just some parts that stood out to me. May God bless you in your walk with Him, in your walk with faith.